not sure I know I skipped three years worth of lectures Just to binge watch your full shows There must be some scholarship For accruing worthless knowledge It's my only talent, honey That and losing money your excess hex debts rest and then just join us while we start on our bachelor bachelor hello welcome to the bachelor of hearts podcast the bachelor australia podcast that asks the question Four episodes in a row now where only one woman has been sent home. Is this going to be the longest season of The Bachelor of all time? We are going until the new year. Yeah. I mean, like, I <laughs> I shouldn't say I hope not because I do like the show. It's a great show and I hope that it continues. I also fucking hope not for my own sanity. Hi, Zavi. Hello. My name's Xavier Betsky noon and I love The Bachelor. I love Hot Springs. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Ow! You know, because it's hot. Uh, and I hate the coronavirus. And joining me, as always, is my co-host with the mo-host, Mr. Max Quinn. How you doing, Maxwell? Xavier, hello. As always, we are recording on the unceded lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I want to acknowledge that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Our respects to Indigenous elders past, present, emerging. And hello to you if you are a First Nations BOH pod listener. There is so much to come in today's episode. We will be locking down on episode five, a pivotal episode in the series. I think so. It's not just scheduling that made us do this one as a standalone. (laughs) (laughs) We're just doing this because we said we're doing an episode about every episode. So we're doing every episode. This episode was absolutely fine. It just makes the most sense for us uh, in the cadence of our week to record this one now and then others later. Do you want to tell them about that? Yeah, maybe this is a good chance just in case anybody's like really planning their activities during the next couple of weeks around what we're doing or whatever. Seems likely. Um, We're going to try a new release schedule this week week um we're doing this one as a one-off and then we're going to do episode six and episode seven recaps as part of one podcast and then episode eight and episode nine as the next one so taking advantage of the early releases on 10 play um so we'll give you plenty of warning in case we're going to touch on any spoilers or anything it's in the it's in the name of the episode you'll be fine but uh yeah just to let you know there was a medium amount of interesting (laughs) things happening on this episode, Zave, I know that there's a rabbit hole or two that you are going to go down. I want to flag the one that I think you definitely have gone down. Magic. Okay, fantastic. Because I will tell the listeners there is more than one thing. Um, but yes, let's dive into the recap. Let's see whether or not I've prepared something truly exhausting about the topic of magic. Or <laughs> just what else I can exhaust you all with in our, in our time going forward here. So we begin The Bachelor's Australia, Season 11, Episode 5, Season 2, Episode 5, question mark, question mark, question mark, with some mansion-free play as Indigenous mentor Mel Ree, who made a splash on night one but hasn't really been super present since then, demonstrates some card tricks to a few of the other women. Well, we're meant to assume they're card tricks. 
Okay. So we get some license-free music in the background where the lyrics mm-hmm. are going like, oh, it feels like magic over and over. Um, but actually what we see, you know, just based on what's inside the frame, you know, uh-huh. this is all we really have to go off. Mel is holding up cards and asking, is this a five of spades? Is this a two of clubs? So maybe she just doesn't know what playing cards are. Could be. She's just struggling to work out what the symbols represent, you know? This is the, uh, this is the Borat. This is cheese. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. Mel's kind of the Borat of this season. <laughs> yeah. Look, if this season had a Borat, I think it would be Mel. Mm. And I do think going forward, if they are to continue doing this show, they should really make sure that every season has a Borat, like a clear and obvious Borat for everyone watching along at home. Who is the Borat? Who can we look at the TV and shout, very nice? Because the other thing about this is that the purpose of the whole series, is it not for these men to shout, my life? Hypothetically, that's the best case scenario. Uh, there is, this calls to mind this famous quote from science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke. You familiar? A.C.K. Nope. Uh, his, uh, his quote says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Have you ever heard that? No. I'm reading that he wrote uh, Space, an Odyssey about space. Yeah, he was a big space, uh, space Odyssey guy. Yeah, he probably wrote one of the best. Like, it was late in the... Se- I think it was like they've written at least a couple of thousand of them until his one, but his one really, like, pulled things into focus, I think. Yeah. What's his relationship with Hubbard? Do we know that? With Elrond? Old Mother. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, they were lovers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think maybe the playing cards uh, represent that sufficiently advanced technology that is just, like, mystifying Mel, you know? Mm, mm. A title card comes up on screen that reads Ben's Pad, and we cut to a girl chat in progress where country girl Bria is recapping her public inquisition at last night's rose ceremony to Ocean Ellie and military bassist McKenna. Bria says, we're all... Military (laughs) bassist. Yeah. Uh, Bria says, we're all about empowering women, but let's not confront them in quiet. Let's just publicly say something that's not even true. Yeah, and then military bassist McKenna says, Wow, yeah. She's, uh... (laughs) Was that Seinfeld? It sort of started out as nothing and became Seinfeld mm-hmm. oh, and then yeah. became Guns. I think there is a there's a core scientific tenet that like eventually all things will become Seinfeld. Yeah, I think that's um I think that's that that guy um C C Clark the author Clark C Clark mm-hmm. who was like ah eventually all things sufficient to magic will become. Any sufficiently advanced bass playing is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what he said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ellie says, this is all just coming from a place of je- jealousy and doesn't actually reflect on Bria. Um, the thing that I'm more interested in here, rather than the conversation itself, is this title card that flashes up and says Ben's pad? Yeah. Why would they be having this conversation at Ben's pad? That doesn't make very much sense. Why would uh, they have gone to Ben's all? pad at all? I don't like this. Feel, feels like it's at the girls' mansion, right? Yeah. The answer is they're fucking not at Ben's pad, and somebody yeah. screwed up. 
Yeah, because this is a mistake. The next thing we see is Bachelor Luke arriving at the mansion, saying hello to all of the women on his way in, and then going in further into the house to talk to Bria. So it's like clearly yeah. just a weird mistake. <laughs> I thought, right. like I was, I'm like, we've watched too many episodes of this in a row. I am losing my mind. And I'm like, no, mm. somebody over there is losing theirs. Someone has, uh, someone has done a boo-boo here because clearly Luke is not going to stand there in the house and be like, I wish I could come here every day, which is his exact phrasing. Right, yeah, which is like, you could probably, right? Couldn't you could probably go to Ben's house if you wanted oh, yeah, to. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, Luke says, I really love you as a human and I genuinely want to be a friend of yours. Um, which I think was really nice. Uh, it's like a rare moment of like genuine support with no romantic oh, strings this was attached. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. Like we don't actually get too much of this, where it's like this is not a romantic thing. This is not a you know I'm coming on to you thing. This is like I'm looking out for you. And it makes me think like we talked in the last episode about how Bria hadn't specifically said that she wasn't interested in Luke. And I'm wondering if what we were being set up for was this chat. Maybe that's it, yeah. And I think um, there is an attempt here, in my opinion, to try and make it seem like this is something that it isn't. Because the next thing we get is this very, very Frankenbitten ITM, which is chopped to shit. And I think it is like sort of desperately straining to float this as a romantic subplot between Bria and Luke. We hear Bria say... He's really caring. I really like Wes. I don't want anything to get in the way. (laughs) Bria tells Ben that Wes has been supportive and understanding, um, even though the last thing we saw was him effectively reprimanding her in front of the whole cast by pulling her out from the rose ceremony. Literally holding a rose over her head and saying, don't do that again. Right, exactly. So we're getting some very mixed signals here. I think maybe partly it's just like, we have analyzed this so closely that it's easy. It's harder for us to believe the lie that it's been, you know, or the, the, the yeah. fiction, the narrative, I should say. I think that's true. I also think that there's an amount of this where Bria might believe the fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this is perhaps in her experience, she was this close to going home, but then Wes said, I've got your back and brought her out in front of everyone and made a big deal. And now she's like in on it with the benefit of, of uh, being significantly removed from the process and how it works. I feel like you and I and and big Gail the other night were sitting there and going, "Uh, is this fair? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bria is definitely getting sort of pulled left and right as um, you know, that's kind of how they make the show, particularly with somebody who gets caught up in this type of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, Anyway, enough on that. We cut directly to a single date in progress with Wes and Miss World Samoa Nella. Wes ITMs that he's, quote, taking Nella to a road trip and reflects on how they share the same faith, but he's looking to see what else they can connect over. So obviously we've got this very, very firm, established base of similarity and he's like, cool, what's the next thing? Yeah, and I like this. I like that this is a an expansion of character for both of them. We talked in the last episode about how he was so activated upon learning that Nella was a Christian and we were like, go deeper. And this feels like the show's attempt to do that. So uh, good job show. Right. So as they drive out to the great ocean road, Nella opens up about her past relationship. 
She says, I was in a position where I had to rely on a man and he was unable to be someone that could provide. And that feels like a very different sentence, like an interesting, you know, an interesting thing that, that I'm sorry happened to her or whatever. And then we jump directly into, like in a somewhat jarring way, into the next thing that she has to say, which is in an ITM, she says, I am trying to practice celibacy. If I were to meet someone, I want to connect with them more on an emotional and spiritual level. I wonder if those two statements actually really have anything to do with each other. I don't think so. Not really. Um, it felt like a just a little editing sort of, I don't know, cut corner. I think it's a communication the first time around of values. Mm. So read me back that first thing that she said. I was in a position where I had to rely on a man and he was unable to be someone that could provide. So the like woman relying on a man provider dynamic mm. is a bit... Um, well, I think it's in line with the patriarchal Christianity that has informed both of their, their upbringings. Yeah. I think they're both like traditional, like yeah. know, family structure. They're traditionalist. Kind of Thank you. That's a much better way to say it. But, mm. uh, what I'm, what I'm taking from this is Nella going, look, I tried I tried as a traditionalist and it didn't work. Mm. And now she's sort of like not necessarily born again because we know that she came up through the church, mm. but it does, um, does suggest a rededication to her faith. Oh yeah. And really like um, ground that first conversation that, that she and Wesley had had about being uh, God botherers yeah, yeah, yeah. in some, some really firm proof. Yeah, well, I want to talk about this celibacy situation. So yeah. um, they, there's like harp music in the background as she talks about this, which I think is like, you know, worthwhile to talk about choice. the way that it's being yeah. framed. Um, she's like a literal angel for doing this, I suppose. Um, I've been really enjoying what friend of the show, Jodie McAllister, has been writing about um, virginity and the sort of different social scripts around it. Um, mm. she has been on the show recently. She will be back on the show again before too long, no doubt. But I also recommend you guys check out what she's writing about this season. Um, the way she, she's talking about, um, the way virginity is sometimes framed actively as a choice, as a, you know, something that is really important to that person and sometimes passively as something that like happens to people. Uh huh. Um, and I'm really interested in how Wes is going to react to the quote-unquote born-again virginity, which is kind of the way that this is framed, right? Of like, you know, I am not a virgin, but I am now practicing celibacy. Like, I'm aiming to sort of restore that. Or like, you know, uh, someone who has been through that rite of passage and is still in some way hoping to, like, reclaim what was lost. Um yeah. I don't know enough about religion myself to, to speak on this with any authority, but I wonder if there is some appeal to a very religious man, a very Christian man, in a woman who has had a child but is now choosing to remain celibate. Like, that feels like Virgin Mary type of territory to me. Am I bucking oh. up? On, am I making... <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I mean, something that is not discussed in the Bible is whether or not after Mary had had her child with with the Lord above, mm. that that she then got her fuck on with with Joseph, right? Okay? Right. Um, the Christian stepdad of Christian stepdads. Sure. Yes. What What I wonder about this is that I think that it makes Nella more palatable 
to Wesley because we know that he is to a certain extent in the way that he's like, I want a clumsy girl, mm. uh, codedly perhaps looking for a, a damsel in distress. Yeah, maybe and it's like someone who is imperfect or... Sure, right? Someone who can be redeemed because so much mm. of uh, that level of evangelical Christianity is about how when you, you know, if you are baptized into the faith at uh, even at a later age, mm. you are freed of original sin mm. and you are reborn in, in God's love. And he might be looking at this woman as someone who, yes, at a time had a child, was away from the church, mm. has come back to the church, is now trying to practice celibacy wholesale yeah. and going, this is my girl because we are all imperfect and we can all be redeemed in the same way that, uh, hey, oops, I dropped something is, <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I it agree. It's imperfect in the same, like, it's it's stupid, like, stupefying to me to think that those things could be parallels. But, but it's like, that is what I'm feeling from Wesley. Yeah, it, it's like being very religious and being evangelical is, um, you know, among the most important things in Wes's life. Yes. Um, and it's also, like, one of the most empowering things that he, like, actively wakes up and makes the choice to do every day. Right. Though those are aspects that you would want in a relationship. You know, somebody who makes you feel empowered, somebody who makes it feel like you're doing the right thing in your life just by being with them or whatever. Like, it, it does right. track. And it tracks within a prism that he understands. And I think that that part of it is really critical. Yeah. Because at the moment, he is being exposed to the ways of life of a bunch of women whose uh, proclivities he doesn't have any understanding or ability to engage with. We talked a lot about that in the last episode when it came to his conversation with Bria. Mm. But this time around, Wesley's encountering someone who I think that he feels a bit one-to-one with, you know, in terms of we talk about that word values all the time and never has it felt in uh, more of a bold font than it has on this date. Yeah, and the conversation continues. Um, Both of them say they are aiming to emulate Jesus and to be more Christ-like in their lives. Yeah. Nella says this sets a good example and also draws people closer to her. And, like, we have heard religion being referenced on The Bachelor before. I've watched a lot of American Bachelor where it's a bit more open um, and and this type of thing happens a bit more often than it does here. Um, But I think in terms of the Australian bachelor even even earlier this season like this conversation was the first time that i truly felt like i was watching evangelism take place and Mm. then like these two people are using the mouthpiece of this television show to like spread the good word to the living rooms around australia you know that was fascinating to me also although it took me to a different place what do you mean when they said that they were looking to emulate christ Mm mm-hmm that word took me down uh, took me down the rabbit hole of are there any Jesus video games? <laughs> of course there are. Like Have you played I Super have... Noah's Ark 3D? Wait, does that exist? Yeah, it's a Doom clone. Or oh. maybe it's a Wolfenstein clone, but instead of shooting like monsters from hell, which I, I would argue is kind of Christian, but yeah. uh, the, the plot of this one is you have to like gather animals and lead them into the Ark. Oh. And you gather them by, like, I think shooting them with, like, I guess a tranquilizer or something. But, yes. Uh, But you don't play as Jesus. I don't know if I've played a game where you play as Jesus. 
this is what I discovered. Mm. A game on Steam, which obviously you don't need an emulator necessarily to run that. Mm -hmm. If, uh, listeners, you are new to the gaming language, as I am relatively, Uh uh, an emulator is like a thing that you can download that lets you play, say, Nintendo 64 games on your computer or whatever. So Um, the the technology that makes a Nintendo 64 work is not necessarily in the technology that makes your computer work. Right. I, uh, maybe that's too... I'm talking down to people or whatever. But no, like, no, no, that's good. That's your, smart, Your computer... You need a piece of software that tricks your computer into thinking that it has all the things that a Nintendo 64 has in it, you know? Right. And so that's what these things do. And on Steam, I found this game called I Am Jesus Christ. Okay, great. I thought this would be such a no-no in the uh, in the Christian church, in the, the community that I was like, there is no way that this exists. Mm. But walk in the footsteps of Jesus in this incredible first-person retelling of the story of Christ from birth to resurrection. Did you say from amazing birth to miracles. resurrection? Birth. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> Perform amazing miracles, interact with a cast of biblical figures, and travel around the Holy Land from Jerusalem to the Galilee. Become the Messiah in I Am Jesus Christ. Wow. And it's like the screen caps from this game are fucking wild. You see the barn in which the big dog is born. Hell yeah. There are other things like where you're just like looking at the uh, the scene that's taking place. I don't know what's happening, and it says like Luke Two verse seven. Oh, Luke Bateman's never in seen it. Some... That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like this uh, in my life, but I am thrilled that uh, someone has taken the time to make the story of Jesus a video game in a way that feels, uh, you know, uh, well-intentioned, but probably also blasphemous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it takes all kinds. With the, you know, like Christianity has got lots of different. Parts, yeah. and some people are going to be more and less cool with that, you know. And Noah's Ark takes two of all kinds. <laughs> That's right. So the drive continues, and they see some pretty sights, and they marvel at the glory of God's creation or whatever. They stop to take a Polaroid together before heading to the beach, where Wes says family is a huge deal breaker for him. He mentions in what I would consider to be a very offhanded way that he's always wanted to get married and always wanted to have five kids. We've talked a lot about like just the expectation that people are going to be able to have kids and however many they desire and that kind of thing, which is very unrealistic. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's always funny when you hear somebody say this like it's nothing, like you can just, you know, go into a shop and pick them out sort of thing. You just squirt out five kids. Right. Um, but then Nella, who has just told the camera that she is trying to practice celibacy, tells Wes that she wants to have eight kids. Oh my God. So like one of yeah. those is going to have to change, I think, right? <laughs> I'm well, no she's expert. already got one. So look, we might have to settle it. She's got one. Wes can have uh, six and then we just, we just lop one off. <laughs> Maybe we give one away. We put him in a little basket and we float him down the river with some apples or something. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's how that story went, right? Yep. Yeah, I think so. Let's talk about the next single date is Luke and Lana. Um, what's Lana's thing again? She, she likes to cook. Lana's thing is that she's the manager at Work Incorporated. That's right. Thank you. Yes. I was yes. looking for that. Luke has brought Lobster Bisque Lana from Work Incorporated to the Stoke House, an upscale restaurant at St. Kilda Beach. 
And Max, I would like to formally introduce something to the podcast, which I think will be an interesting and enriching way to track how deluxe these dates are, Mm. uh, as well as the ongoing cost of living pressures that are being faced by all Australians. Great. I think you'll find this valuable, Max. I'm looking forward to this. It's something I'm calling the hot chip index. Oh, I love this. This is in deference to economist Pam Woodall's Big Mac index. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's like basically it's 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 a way of understanding uh inflation and also uh international um trading and in- interest rates and stuff like that Got by you. looking at how much the Big Mac which is a product available in basically every country of the world. Oh, yes. How much it costs versus like how much people are earning and stuff like that. And it's like it- Designed to be slightly humorous, but also, like, a way to understand these these things, you know? This is exactly it. Like, the way that my dad phrases this is, like, when I was five, when I was seven, uh, big uh, meat pie cost two pence. Sure, yes. And it's also, like, oh, if you went to Cambodia, like, a Big Mac would cost blank. And if you went to, you know, uh, Tokyo, yeah. a Big Mac would cost this. And, like, it's essentially going to be basically the same product, but um, they'll be wildly different based on all sorts of other factors. Right. Anyway, so uh, this this is what I'm introducing um, for The Bachelor. Whenever possible, I'm going to work out how much it costs to get an order of chips from the date destinations on The Bachelor. That's great. So that we can gauge like the approximate vibe of the date from that, right? Um, and Max, just to make things fun, I am going to let you guess as well. So I'm going to give you uh, a clue, which is just the way that it is described on the menu. So, you know, some places will just say chips and some mm-hmm. places will say like, you know, deluxe herb, gratin, potato, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, you know. Um, so we're kicking things off here with the Stokehouse's, quote, hot chips with citrus salt, which is available in the sides part of their menu. Would you like okay. to guess the price? Hot chips with citrus salt. Yeah. $12. Not far off. $14. Yikes. That's so expensive. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. So, you know, they've got lots to look forward to on this date. Lana ITMs. She can't stop looking into Luke's eyes. She says they make her feel safe. And they chit-chat about cooking. Lana says, do you wear an apron? And Luke says, for you, I can cook naked without an apron. And Lana says, oh, that's even better. What are we having? Hot dogs? Now, (laughs) the way she phrases this is not... Like someone who is asking whether or not they'll be eating a sausage in a bun. (laughs) She says this like she thinks The Bachelor is Simon Deering, the 11th of (laughs) Victims, Big Brother Australia 2005. (laughs) What do you think we'll be having, hot dogs? (laughs) Uh, Max, I was on Hot Dogs' Wikipedia page this morning. I know we mentioned him on a previous episode. Now we've mentioned him again, so I figure why not? Mm-hmm. Headed to Hot Dogs Wiki page, I saw something I could not personally verify, and my first thought was that maybe you put it there. Oh, it could be true. <laughs> Say again. So, what is it? Okay, I have the quote here. It says Deering is set to play the role of Eric Banner in the new play by Warthog Theatre, Banner, about the life of Eric Banner. Was that you? I didn't do that. Because I couldn't find any record of Warthog Theatre or this play anywhere. This is so good. And also, there's a typo in there that I didn't read out, but I thought maybe that was you having some fun. No, I didn't do this, but I want to build on it. I don't know how this has happened. I would pay so much to see Hot Dogs play Eric Banner on stage. did this? 
Yeah, I, it might oh, be a I listener. Can't wait I can't to find this person. I do this wonder, is like, thrilling for me. Now that we're known, and particularly you're known as something of a Wikipedia trickster, I do wonder mm. whether the podcast has gotten to the point where, like, you know, if we take an extra day or two to put an episode out, a listener will just go in and like lay some traps for us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would adore that if yeah, you if too. you would like to go in and yeah, that would be. That would be just fantastic. Now, where did you... How s- much oh, does yes, Warthog okay. Theatre sound like something you would come up with? War- by play by Warthog Theatre, play banner. Oh, my God. Citation is- very much needed, by the way. I am so excited. <laughs> I am so excited to look at this afterwards. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, can't wait. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah. Lana, ITMs. I have butterflies. Uh, I didn't see them on the menu, but maybe they... <laughs> They ask the cook especially. Uh, they tuck into their lunch and they notably do not touch the $14 order of chips that is just fucking sitting there in front of them. I was dying seeing that. Shocking. Uh, Lana tells Luke that her relationship with her ex-partner is good. She's dated again since they split up and they are happily co-parenting without any real issues. So all systems are pretty much go. And this mm. leads Luke to bring up his stepdad who Luke describes as both his hero and one of his best mates. We see ITM footage of Luke fighting back tears, saying, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am in my life right now without my stepdad. So to be a stepdad and a role model to someone else someday, maybe Lana's daughter, would be something very special to me. That would be just thrilling. I found Hot Dogs' phone number. (laughs) Should I just text him? Give him a call. Put him on speaker. I don't think I can hook the phone up through the pod, but I will send him a text. Okay. What are you How do I say? phrase this? Do I say, hey, hot dogs? <laughs> do you start with hot dogs or do you say Simon? Okay. Here's the text that I've written to hot dogs. Hit me. Hey, Simon, I got this number from where I got the number from. Uh-huh. My name's Max. I host a show about Australian reality TV. True. I found this on your Wikipedia page and I don't know if someone is up to tricks or if it's legit. Would love to know. Thanks so much for your time. And then I just sent him the screenshot. Perfect. Couldn't have asked for better. I thought you were going we'll to do some see. kind of bit, bit, but this is probably better. I want a, uh, a properly sourced. Do you know what? Because this is how we become a Wikipedia citation. <gasps> That's true. Yeah, exactly. We can link people back to this podcast if that happens. Exactly that. Okay, great. And then we'll get literally ones of listeners out of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I really like how sincere Luke is about this. And in in general, I think that's the thing that he really has going for him is like taking shit seriously, even though he is always joking about stuff. And yeah, um, that that level of sincerity and, and, you know, you know, some I don't want to give him too much credit, but some level of maturity when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know? Oh, I think it's fantastic. We've seen him open up in various different ways in the last couple of episodes, largely to Lana but also in the way that he's been speaking to Priya. Yes. Just not in his dealings with the other men. I think that still has a little bit of work to, you know. I wonder if some of that is a product of how uh, you might be raised to think that men might speak to other men. 
Yes, I, I'm guessing that's part of it. Yeah. And also, like, for all of the posturing that these men are best friends with each other and hang out all the time or whatever, they are, like, three strangers. And, like, they're... Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of that kind of, like, you actually are kind of, you know... And you're probably experiencing a bit of culture shock as well if you are a uh, footy guy who grew up in regional Queensland mm. and chops trees for a living or does... I don't think he chops trees. I think he... Um, I've heard him least... use the word lumberjack. Yeah, like, but in an ecologically safe way. I think he works in forestry. He, so he's, he, I think I know what he does. I think uh-huh. instead of chopping the trees down, he is like sort of massaging and stroking them in a way. <laughs> yep. Yep. Good, good. Uh, I can't believe look, that cum case... joke I made in front of Big Gale. I still <laughs> feel like weird about it. Uh, that one got cut, let Did me it? tell you. Okay, great. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, Fantastic. look, well, Luke uh, Master Bateman, um, <laughs> I like him. I like him very much. Mm. He, I, I, and I appreciate that um, there's an amount of him that is that is sincere. There's an amount of him that's mucking around, mm. and it all seems to be to the height of his ability. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this single date with Ben and Angela, who you might remember for not being able to swim. She also got Angela. Angela, yeah. Um, she also got the first dance with Ben on night one. Um, she hasn't been an extremely big focal point of the show since then. Long overdue, I feel. This is the sort of woman who would normally get the first date. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're waiting a little while here. Um, but Ben has taken her to the National Gallery of Victoria. Uh, and Max Quinn, there are two places you can get chips at the NGV. Um, there is the Tea Room, where you can get mm-hmm. an order of fries and aioli. And there's also the Garden Restaurant where you can get a side of pom frites with aioli. Would you like to get guess real. those two prices? Okay, I'm going to say eight and twelve. Okay, uh, you are wrong. Uh, in fact, the order of fries and aioli was thirteen dollars, and the side Oof. of pom frites is only ten. That's crazy. Yeah, I think maybe it might come down to size. It's a bit hard to say. Um, pom frites, though, is uh, what do you call that? Like pomoisettes. Um, I think it might just be a fancy hot gems? chippy. No, you're right. You're right. I think it might just be a nice way to say hot chippy. I don't know for sure. Ben and Angela are not stopping for a bite, though. They head right into the gallery and start poking around. And Ben leads the tour, looking very clever as he rattles off facts about the paintings, which he has clearly memorized before walking into the building. It's and- like Nathan Fielder has taken him around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Angela swoons over how intelligent and sensitive he is for knowing about all these paintings. We wander through the gallery with them, stopping for such insights as Antony and Cleopatra were the, quote, OG power couple, hashtag Ben and Ange. Uh, and that... No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little rough. And that renowned Italian castrato Carlo Broschi's, quote, girlfriend was, quote, not too pleased when he, quote, got his nuts chopped off. Castrato. Yeah. So springing off this frankly insane retelling of events, um, <laughs> I thought maybe Max would be interested in the true story here. I'm really interested. So in reality... Because the etymology here is castrate, right? Well, yeah. So a castrati is a... Is a oh, sorry. A castrato is a thing. It was very popular, um, and basically it meant that uh, young people, usually prepubescent, um, would uh, be, like, genetically mutilated so that they would retain, like, a high sort of soprano singing voice into adulthood. This is right. Yeah. 
So, uh, Broshi, Brosh, Broski, I'm guessing, probably Broski, Carlo Brittany Broski. Brittany Broski. Brittany Broski. In reality, Brittany, I'm not saying that. Um, in reality, Broski would have been less than 12 years old when he was castrated. Um, this was also almost definitely thrust upon him rather than his own choice. Um, as a result of economic insecurity faced by his entire family after the death of his father at age 36. Um, this portrait shows him well into his 40s, so like decades after the, you know, surgery. Um, yeah. And while he was reportedly in love with Castellini, who is the woman that is referred to as his girlfriend, um, she's a librettist who performed many of his compositions. Um, and indeed, while their positioning in the frame is reminiscent of formal marriage portraits at this time, um, Ben's suggestion that she was the girlfriend and that she was displeased with the fact that he decided to mutilate his body is My farcical. Word. It's wrong in like three or four different ways. <laughs> um, but Ben uses this, he like springs off this observation, this untrue observation to talk about uh, how, how this is a, a, an act of sacrifice for, you know, a, sacrificing his personal life for work. How he himself is castrated. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he's trying to make it seem like this is something that um, like th this is noble or whatever. Yeah, and this is something that he chose to do. Broski chose to do it, and he did it for work and oh put his God. you know personal life aside or whatever. And he asks Angela if she's ever done anything like that, and she replies, "Not my balls," which I thought was very funny. <laughs> I think that was just about just right as on good an answer as you could hope for this conversation we, topic. Yes, talked in the last episode a little bit about how uh, Madison might have had a better response to. Oh, I heard that you were in the neighborhood. Sure. What are you doing here at the batch pad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a 10 out of 10. Could not be improved upon. Very good on your feet thinking. Um, they both agree that they want to have two kids, which is funny because they're just talking about like someone whose genitals were mutilated or whatever. It's just like My a very word. strange uh, place to be. Uh, I don't know. Um, Angela ITM. So we might as well go home if he doesn't want kids. It's something I will not compromise on. It's an absolute deal breaker for me. Again, we're getting this like I am certain about the amount of kids I can have and that kind of thing. Okay. Uh -huh. Ben reassures her, quote, just to reassure you, I didn't chop my nuts off. Now, he didn't chop his nuts off. I, I'm just begging you, Ben, if you want to seem clever, you actually need to at least spend 15 minutes on Wikipedia like I did. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Read or some like... stuff on the NGV website. Don't just like, you know, he's, 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 he's read like three sentences and made up the rest. He's been like, ah, we're good from here. Yeah, I know about the what I wonder chopping. <laughs> you would have, you would have thought Ben would Son be of more a nut in the chopper <laughs> in the chopping. <laughs> uh, look, I think that it would have been cleverer for Ben to try and convince Angela that his tragedy reveal twist <gasps> was that he had in fact lopped his nuts. Yeah. in some modeling accident. That's a good play, or even like, yeah, I actually really relate to um, this, like. 15th century castrati or whatever because i actually yeah. had the exact same thing happen to me um Look, and let me sing, sing a song for you <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know? yeah 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 a lot of bits a lot of bits uh a lot of missed bit potential including in the <laughs> in the physical scrotums of uh yeah okay uh, <laughs> Luke brings Lana back to his pad. I can't believe I have to call it a pad. Uh, it's so dumb. 
Um, meet a millennial. Meet someone from Gen Z who will call it a pad. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. This is like Austin Powers would say pad. You know. Yes. Um, although I do like, the, I remember the the uh, apoplectic um, shock that people went into when Apple designed and revealed the iPad. You remember when everyone was like, "Oh, oh, yeah. periods or whatever." So this is all. Uh, this is true of almost everything that I think Apple has created that we have then come to love. How do you mean? Well, the like, do you remember bad? when the um, the well, both like the the name and the technology seems gaudy. Like, do mm. you remember the uh, wireless earbuds? Oh yeah, yeah. And when they first came out, and yeah, everyone was like, everyone was like yeah, "That looks like yuck, shit." I These have to have so a stupid. wire connected to me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And mm. now you're probably listening listening to this on one of those right now, dear listener. I mean, that may not be true. I don't know. What's our what's the socioeconomic group that we most, you know... I mean, who can say? Should I master this in spatial audio? Because <laughs> I could be over here. Hello. Now you're going to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they're back at the pad. They share some rosé and couch time. And Luke tells Lana that conversation comes easily with her, whether it's about a serious topic or a fun one. And she remarks that it's the same for her. And he's easy on the eyes, too saying, quote, where did you come from? We need to clone you. We need more Luke Batemans in this world. I think, and I like Luke Bateman, we've got enough Luke Batemans, right? He's like an ordinary white guy who doesn't suck. I mean, maybe we could replace some of the ones who do suck. Um, look, I think that there need to be more Luke Batemans because he is in touch with himself and in touch with the world from uh, and comes from a paradigm that doesn't encourage that, I think. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like more people in that sphere should be more like him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lana. I feel positive about that. Yeah, of course. Yes. I'm really just fooling around. Um, Lana says on this podcast, um, Lana says... Are you going to ask me for a kiss? And Luke says, yep, and then kisses her without asking. <laughs> I think it's fine. Nobody's getting in yeah. trouble here, but it was oh, funny how that, that played out. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and Luke ITMs that Lana has Stephen Bradbury her way up to the top rankings. That, like, everyone else has fallen over in front of her. Like, did that happen? Are, are Luke's other women, like, really? I, I don't know if... I think it's more I just like, through, like no, a, through no extremely big moves of her own, she has swung out in front of the, the competition. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think, think it's true. so much that like other women have really fallen on their face so much. That's the implication. And that to me is very, very funny. It is funny. But a Stephen Bradbury I, reference is almost always good in my experience. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I'm trying to, uh, you know what? I'm not going to talk about my uh, professional fantasy football life in uh, the confines of this podcast for the benefit of you, Zavi, and for the listeners. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Ben and Angela walk fast through the traffic lights, busy streets, and busy lives to the State of Grace cocktail bar in the CBD. Great. It's a worthwhile fight or something. <laughs> People like this stuff? People listen to this? <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the State of Grace cocktail bar and the CBD, Max Quinn. They got some chippies there. Oh, yeah. How much do you reckon they charge for the, quote, skin on fries with vinegar, salt, and aioli? And I will oh, clarify fuck. vinegar, salt, not vinegar, comma, salt. $13. Very close. $13.50. Damn. Yeah, really. I mean, that's, you know, 
I'm going to hit one it's of these. their fault for putting a decimal point in there. They really don't need that extra 50 cents, do they? Come on. What are people doing charging fucking $13 <laughs> for a bowl of chips? I don't know. They must be good. Um, but they skip the chips and go straight for the cured meat board, which is a charcuterie board without the word charcuterie in it. Do you want to guess that one just for fun? $40.50. It's $46. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. But yeah. Steve. Uh, Angela says she hasn't done a ton of dating since she and her ex split up. The breakup devastated her and she's put walls up because she doesn't want another failed relationship. All these people putting walls up. I know. Yeah. It's a kind of bloody tradey renaissance. Just go on the block. <laughs> Um, she also says her dad, she feels sad that her dad didn't get to see her have kids and she wants to give her mum the opportunity to have grandkids. Ben feels much the same way. And Angela says, quote, we'll get there, which is, I like that, you know, putting the cards on the table. It was nice. Cause like, you could interpret that as just like the, the two of us, wherever we end up in life, we'll get there. Or you could, yeah. you, you, you could mean like, yeah, the two of us are about to do it, baby. It's open-ended but also forward yes and i like that exactly like it, it hints at something without being explicit about it you know it's well well played and i also think this is a deliberate editing choice we like mckenna we really really like mckenna i think that angela is going to be the person that ben chooses in the end mm, very interesting she itms i'm hoping i'm the last one for him and he's the last one for me and we can have a batch baby Nice try, guys. The only batch baby is me. <laughs> uh, yes, they kiss. Uh, ben ITMs. I can easily see this being long term, and I'm excited for what the future may hold. Yeah. So I don't know if I felt that much. I thought this was good and well played. Yeah. But I just like I it didn't like really strap me to the edge of my well undo the straps from me that allowed me to sit at the edge of my seat or whatever, right? Is that not always the way with the winner at this point in the season, though? It's a good point, actually. Yeah, you have one, like, kind of nice one, and then you realize, like, oh, my God, this was special all along kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, this was so special, and we had our connection on night one, and then it was reignited later along the line, and then by the time that we got to single dates, I wasn't so sure because there's Amanda who's 25 and beautiful or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this is the sweet spot. Mm. Uh, maybe it's also just like I'm not really feeling a lot from Ben at all. You know, like I yes. feel like this is Ben uh, rising to the level that I want him to be at the whole time. Where in fact, yeah. like this might be his ceiling in terms of like getting invested and you know giving passion to me and stuff. Or like I'm not interpreting it the same way. I agree. I think that Ben is not that capable of being that emotive. And if he were, maybe he would have been an actor. Ooh, hoo, 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 shots fired at models. You know what? I know what you mean, though. Like, you know, uh, I'm, I, saying I'm not saying generally, but like, there's something there. Yeah, where... well, or, or also just like he, you know, why is he the bachelor? You know, like maybe he'd. Well, I don't know. Sure, he's the bachelor, and he's not like a household name. You know, maybe there's a reason that his Netflix show didn't get off the ground. Oh, damn! Shots fired, but I agree. I love it. Love this from you. He's spitting fire pew, today. Pew, pew. Let's talk about the group date. This time it is a spa day at Alba Thermal Springs, which has an on-site restaurant called Time, where you can enjoy locally sourced seasonal produce in a menu created by award-winning chefs. Max, any guesses on the chippies? $16. Locking that in? Locking in 
sixteen dollars and twenty cents. <laughs> What's the twenty cents for? Is it going to go up each time I ask? Some sort of tax. Okay, Max, they don't have chips. That's fucked. Yeah, isn't that fucked? This is a trick I question. I can't believe you would trick me like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so the men have picked three women each to enjoy the premium luxury and relaxation of knowing that they are on the chopping block. It is kind of funny, <laughs> right? Like, they're like, we can go to a place where we can just, like, really chill out and soak and relax. And by the way... Soak? Okay, Mormon. <laughs> one of the reasons that, you know, you're here because I think you might be... Ready to yeah. go, you know? Yeah. So, I like you, and I want to spend more time with you also. I could cut you. Yeah, just so you know, I like you, but not that much, you know? That's right. Um, Luke has invited Horse Girl, Gamer Girl, Tabitha, Kebab Kisser, Arthi, and Playing Card Neophyte, Mel Ree. Ben has invited Caitlin, who had that terrible first date with him and is now just kind of like hanging out and eating the free food at the mansion, I guess. Good for her. Evangeline, open bracket, Evie, close bracket, and Ocean Ellie. And what's going on here? Like, one of these women is certain to go home, I feel. Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's at least one person that's, like, very close to leaving in all of these groups. And then also, like, one to two women who are strongly not going to leave. We're stragglers. Yeah. Uh, Wes has brought Bria. Oat Latte Jade, and six-figure income, six-figure TikTok follow account, Natalie, who flies planes in her spare time and yet is apparently not interesting enough to be on screen for more than two seconds all season. That's psycho to me. Isn't that wild? Like, when you think about the people who are not being prioritized on this season compared with how interesting they seem... Well, because we've got Lisa, darling. (laughs) Like... Uh, we've got no amount of time for you, Natalie. <laughs> You've been practicing, and I love it. You sound great, Max. This is so much better than than I was even two days ago. Yeah, I'm yeah, thrilled. Yeah. Uh, I like that our listeners can really plot this in real time, <laughs> you know? And listeners, I would like to see your graph. <laughs> a gra- we, we need to collect data on, like, quality, which is a little hard to, <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, the women are w- is subjective. <laughs> the women are waiting in the water as the men approach, and we're treated to thirsty shots of their shirtless bodies. And you can tell that they realized that they wanted to have this moment in slow motion, but they didn't actually shoot it in high frame rate. So instead, we get this like juttery reduced r- frame rate slow motion footage that looks like a Michael Mann movie. Mm. Um, ben- Michael Mann. <laughs> Top three Michael Mann movies, Max. Uh, Mr. Big. Yeah, like that one. Um, James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, great choice. And uh, Redemption. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the later era ones, right? That one, people say that Redemption is not that good, but I actually think that Redemption might be among the top three. Yeah, it's got to be. At least number three on the top three, for sure. Yeah, because, like, I mean, Mr. Big, how do you... I mean, you're not going to top that one. Right. He's the biggest. (laughs) Yeah, he's big and he's a guy. He is. Yeah. Are any of those movies? James the Giant Peach is a movie. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm sure there are movies with those other names, too. I imagine they're generic enough. Ben has invited Ocean Ellie again, despite her telling him she is no longer interested in him and wants to pursue things with Luke. Very chill vibes there. Just a guy who will not take no for an answer, will not let go. We love to see that. 
is this so that I mean it's not so that he can kick her out, but I thought that like at this point in time, I thought maybe this was a strategic play so that he could get Luke to oh. spend a rose on Ellie so that he could have more of a pick of the field. It doesn't yeah. turn out that way. No, but, but that that's would have been the right way to handle it. Yeah, and and also like that would create a really good dramatic moment of one of the guys deliberately sending home one of the other guys' girl, right? Which exactly like I, I don't or know threatening if any, to. Yeah, I don't know if any of them will will pull that, but that would be a really interesting move. Well, so if I were, for example, if I were Ben, hmm. I would invite Lana. I would invite. Ellie mm-hmm. and I would invite Arthur mm-hmm. and I would make Luke spend his rose on those women mm. so that one of the women in his pool has to go home and I can get to know the rest. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of outside the box thinking that isn't being done, you know, as, yes. as much as there is some that's happening. Um, yeah. I also have to imagine that production are kind of like putting some limits on these types of things too. Probably, like, yes, it will get if you too complicated. To be a true villain, yeah, or yeah. I mean, if you wanted to, we, this is like what we talked about with my like strategy to destroy the Big Brother, you know, yes, night one experience or whatever. Like, if you want to cause chaos and become a legend, <laughs> did I, was I? You get in there, you're like, honey, Gwen, yeah. <laughs> did I? Did I? Tell you on mic, or was this was this a conversation? No, no, no. This has been told on the show before. Your strategy no, is we, to get into the Big Brother. Okay. I know about the Big Brother one. Did I tell you on mic, or was this a conversation we had separately about what I would do if I went on MasterChef? No, I don't know about that. And please elaborate. Okay, my I, I kind of have two. I'm not sure which one I like more. Um, is I go on MasterChef, I pass auditions, I play it safe, I do normal stuff, I probably learn how to cook a few things, whatever. Yeah. Um, get through to like my first televised. Round or even like the longer I can hold it for the better, but you know I it 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 only works once, and so you know yeah. um, I can't guarantee how long I would actually last in MasterChef. Probably not that long, so I'd probably do it quite kind of quickly. Um, what I would do is either um, cook a whole delicious meal based on their you know requirements, and it uh-huh. looks good, and you know I'm ready to serve it up, and then I just eat it. Before it's time to <laughs> play it up and serve it. Like, even maybe while they're trying all the other people's ones or whatever. And then they just have to be like, okay, Xavier, you're up next. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I did eat it. Uh, we, I was standing here for quite a while. It is now gone. Um, you got the footage of while I was making it. Like, it looked good, right? Like, you can probably judge off that. Yep. The other one yep. I would do is I wouldn't even cook it. And I would just, like, as soon as the timer starts, just eat all the ingredients. <laughs> I just really like the idea of, like, they send you running into the little, like, uh, the, the place where they store all those beautiful fresh fruit and vegetables. Yeah, yeah, and you're, like, a fistful of flour. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, or just, you know, yeah, I just start grabbing stuff and eating them, and they, they have to drag me out. Mm. This is how you go down in the history books. I'm just saying. <laughs> If any of our listeners choose to do that, I, you have my blessing. But let me know in, I think in that advance. So anything I can watch. that you can do to make yourself reality TV noteworthy mm-hmm. is a good thing to do. Absolutely. If you can, in some way, ruin the production. I mean, especially if it doesn't like fun. hurt anyone or whatever. Yes. You know, but like things like that, it's just like that's mischief that every person in Australia would love. Wesley pulls Jade for a chat, and they talk about family. Jade is the fun aunt to a niece and nephew in Brisbane. Um, the font. <laughs> the font. Uh, Wes says, my dad keeps on asking me and my sister, when are you going to have children? I had this crazy weird dream that I wanted to have five kids and I wanted each one of the five to be born in a different country. This is normal to me. 
This is fucking freaky. I find this very normal. Do you? Yes, super normal. No questions. Good. Good number and good good plan to have them all born in different countries. Well, what, you're in labor. Reason. Let's pop across across to New Zealand. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I find oh, you've never had a child in Turkey. <laughs> Let's hop on a plane. Uh, Let's go. The. Uh, I'm I'm also interested in the way that when he's talking to someone that he knows is religious, yeah, he he will he he knows they will be receptive, and so he says that this is what he wants to do. He wants to have five kids. Uh huh. No question. You know, it's like this is what's going to happen. But when he's talking to somebody like Jade, who I don't know if she's religious or not, but she certainly hasn't told Wesley that she is. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming she isn't until I hear otherwise. But I don't know. Um, I agree. But he reframes it as a crazy weird dream to as to make it more palatable to her and he he even like passively phrases it in the past tense and he says like yeah i had this dream i kind of wanted to have a small united nations in my house (laughs) (laughs) and she's like okay yeah okay he's like oh that's really interesting yeah she sort of tries to negotiate him down to two she goes like, oh, well, we've got Australia and Brazil already, so, you know, we don't need to have that many more, do we? Don't have <laughs> there needs to be, yep. Yeah. He's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. There will be five, there will be five. There will be five, and they will join NATO. That's right, and the fact that you're asking questions means it might be six or seven. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not careful. Imagine, by the way, mm-hmm. being Jade, mm. or being, I don't know, Bria, mm-hmm. and falling into the camp of this man. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I would hope that they still feel comfortable, like, if this is, if, because if I heard someone say, like, I want you to give five babies to me, I want you to, like, use your human body to produce them, uh, I would be like, okay, that's interesting. Um, Who else is around here? I wonder if, you know, I hope that they still feel comfortable and able to do that. I hope also the show hasn't progressed so far, because also you're up against this thing of, like, then we have the women that he's obviously gotten to know incredibly well for the first few episodes, and then we have this new one joining the fray. Like, it, it brings this, like, intruder sort of element to, like, I think they are kind of getting set in stone at this point, you know? It's funny, like, so many of the women that I think that in the in the preseason based on cast bios, mm. where I was like, you're going to be cool and chill, have become, like, Wes's girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and people who, that we thought would be Wes's girls have ended up not being. Absolutely. Mm. And it just goes to show, like, the fallibility, firstly, of those bios and also of our interpretation of them. Yeah. But then I take that a step further and I think, ooh, if I were in their shoes, what would this feel like? Mm. Yeah. Uh, we hear the women at least a few times saying, this is so warm um, in the in the baths, which I believe because it's like a sort of temperate hot spring or whatever. But also uh-huh. you can see them. It's it's visibly raining. It's like an overcast Melbourne day. And they're also like huddling around in a very tight circle, which seems clearly yep. like they're trying to preserve body heat. So I don't know. There's some like disparity there. Um there's also a boom mic visible for a second here too, which I'm oh, aware is that. like, it's not that good for a recap. You can't, you can't hear it, you know? Um, but I, <laughs> is that yeah, better? that's great. Yeah. I just like, I saw that and I was like, well, I can't just have that in my brain and not say it. You know? <laughs> we flash back to the mansion where Lisa is telling her minion Anastasia that she is planning to crash the group date. She says, uh, Oh, maybe I want you to do this. 
can I get a take of you saying, I'm going to risk the lot because if I'm going, I'm going to be in the rose ceremony tonight? I'm going to risk the lot because if I'm going, I'm going to be in the rose ceremony tonight. <laughs> Anastasia says, I don't think he's going to be a virgin after this. Which, like, in at the group date, you think? Do you, in the public I mean, baths? Let's go. What in the I'm, salt I'm burn? thrilled for it. Yeah. Uh, there are segments of, like, two or three different ITMs spliced in together here, um, which is all just reinforcing this villain narrative for Lisa, getting the juiciest bits all in one point. But one of them has Lisa saying, I think it's my German nature, you know, just, like, stirs apart a little bit. I mean, we started two wars. I'm like, bestie, I have such bad news about you about how many wars the Germans have started. It's not, not just the two you're thinking of. <laughs> there, are, there might be some others. Yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe this is a good chance to talk about Lisa and like the, the prospect that has now been floated that Lisa is going to take Wes's virginity. How likely do you feel that is? This is a non-serious attempt, although yeah. I think that it is tremendous television. I agree. Because the stakes that are being set up are someone whom someone for whom nothing would surprise you as the viewer and someone from whom everything would surprise you as the viewer. So Wesley at this point, like if he is to, let's say, uh, I don't know, take the initiative with a woman and not phrase it in such a way as um, what if you were someone I kiss Mm. thrilling to me. Yeah. I'll be like, growth. Yeah, yeah. That's huge for him. Yeah. And, no- and normal. Yes. And Lisa, as she could be like, what if we have sex in the pool and then and we're quite free. <laughs> I do think like... And I'd be like, I am not surprised. Right. I do think like the only way, well, not the only way because there's there's angles that they're finding with Wes, but I think like on a very broad scale, the way to make Wes's storyline most interesting is if this immovable object meets an irresistible force. Oh, yeah, but you know? that's Bria. Well, he finds Bria irresistible. I guess irresistible is the wrong word. What is it? Unstoppable force maybe is better? Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. Where it's like yeah, exactly. something needs to come hurtling towards him with a, with a force and strength and speed that he simply cannot account for with his right. like sort of traditional you know, uh, out view, uh, overview. Sure. Outlook. I think this is true and, and accurate. And sometimes you get pigeonholed as, as that guy mm. and wedge, wedgely. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for either of them in terms of having a three dimensional portrait painted of them on this show. You know, Agreed. we're also yes. getting a true like cartoon character of what Lisa is, you know? Right. Um, yeah. there's no depth there. Yeah. I, I think Lisa is aware of what's going on here. I, I wonder how Wesley feels about this, although, like... <laughs> we are going to learn about it. Yeah, well, we... I mean, like, Wesley has the power, and he has the opportunity to create a more textured portrait of himself if he chooses to. Um, I don't think that he has the awareness to be able to do that, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a bit hard to say. Um, we're going to talk more about this as the, the episode yeah. goes on, and as the season goes on, obviously. So Ocean, Ellie, and Luke have a moment together where she praises his energy... Byron Bay. Uh, and in ITM, she says they have a real sexual chemistry, which is demonstrated in the episode by him saying, you have an amazing body, Allie. 
and her saying, oh, thank you. And him saying, that's all right. And her saying, and so do you. And him saying, oh, thanks, doll. This sequence made me think about a really great piece of writing that I read a couple of years ago by Raquel S. Benedict, which is called Everyone is Beautiful and No One is Horny. Have you heard about this? No, I don't know about this. It's a really great piece. I recommend people read it. And it deals with, like, it is specifically about how modern action and superhero movies fetishize physical perfection and attractive bodies, um, but how they don't contain much actual, like, sexuality or romanticism. Yeah. So, you know, there we see these promotional cycles that are filled with, like, detailed descriptions of fitness regimes and, like, speculations on people's surgical enhancements. Actors look more beautiful than they ever have. I mean, you know, well, you know, sure. sculpted or perfect or to, to suit current society's, you know, uh, uh, picadillos. Yep. But the actual content of these films that they're, you know, cast in and that they're promoting is like unable to or just disinterested in engaging with real intimacy and sexuality. You know, like all of the Marvel movies are PG rated. Like, you know, all the Christopher Nolan movies have like very little by way of sexual content, you know, like whatever it is. Sure. I mean, you think about that uh, 1997 Batman and Poison Ivy is hot. Yeah, exactly. We used, we used to be more... That's a good example, actually, of, like, you know, there, there used to be more, like, open sexuality, more, like, flirtiness, more, like, you know, not just, um, like, people being hot on screen and then kind of ignoring their impulses or whatever. The, that they are hot, even, or even, like, paying attention to the fact that they might be, that they might be desirable. Yeah. And this made me reflect on... You know, the, not that The Bachelor Australia started from an extremely sexually open place. Um, you know, season one had overnight dates, but it was like a polite refusal to, you know, to actually do it. Um, yeah. And then obviously many seasons of just like pretending it doesn't really exist. Um, but now we have, you know, I, I track a line, even though it sort of stagnates in the middle, from like the acceptance that sex exists, the acknowledgement that like there is sexual attraction and, and stuff between these people and just not wanting to get into it on a, you know, public forum or whatever that we had in season sure. one to like what we have now, which is like a borderline hagiographic presentation of a virgin bachelor. Like we are holding him up as, you know, we're playing a- angelic music as we discuss like this wonderful choice he has made to yeah 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 and the like the born again purity of of nella yeah um who grimaces as she says i do have a child right yeah it makes me wonder like is is this a one-way street you know are we going to proceed like going down that avenue or is there still room for genuine eroticism to present itself and i realize obviously this is a primetime tv show so like there's a limit to what is going to be explored in depth but yes, I don't. And yeah, there, sorry, you go. Well, there have been times, there have been times where you felt the real physical spark of chemistry and connection between people on this show. But I would argue they are not front and center. It's been a long time since Matt Agnew and Abby Chatfield, mm. for example. I think yeah. maybe like uh, Felix and Tilly got there and a little Tilly for certain. Yeah. yeah, like there are there. I'm not saying that it's like 
The Bachelor has become sexless. It's certainly not to the same degree that, um, you know, the examples of superhero films and stuff like that in that article um, go into. But I, it just makes me think about, there's a broader conversation happening about how, like, um, Gen Z and young people are, like, made uncomfortable by sex scenes in movies. And, like, you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff happening about, like, even just, like, young people are having less sex on average than they used to in, in previous generations or whatever. All this stuff sure. requires more looking into than than either of us have done, but yes, it, it, bears, I've done it bears thinking none about None of it. this. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I kind of zoned out thinking about that for a while there. <laughs> uh, Luke and Ocean Ellie pash in the pool just over from the other women. It seems like it should be scandalous. It seems like we're going to, you know, someone's going to notice or whatever. It never really comes up again. Um, Ellie ITMs. It would be a fairy tale ending if I walked out of here with Luke. Now I just need to have a chat with Ben. So we will get that in a second. Um, but here comes Lisa. Perhaps she will offer some of this eroticism. Um, she, uh, she marches towards the group date ITMing. I'm coming in and showing my body in a bikini. And there's a lot to look at. I would say Wesley would definitely get quite sexually frustrated after seeing me in a bikini. I mean, who wouldn't? Kind of Wesley is the exact person that she might be describing when she says who wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Although sexually frustrated seems to kind of be the order of the day with Wesley too on some level, right? I, but it's so no, repressed. Like, I think it's just, I think it's just embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem like temptation is really like coming across his face. As this happens, yeah. you know? The only way in which temptation enters the picture is when it comes to Bria hmm. and when it comes to the, like, non-sexual uh, prospect of Bria. Yeah, you know well, what I'm he's, saying? Yeah, he's very comfortable with um, his idea of romance. Yes. And courting and, you know, the stuff that The Bachelor wants him to do most of the time walking around the beach <laughs> that's right yeah it's just when it comes to the the lisa of it all that he is a bit out of his depth so to speak he's just this man is lost this poor man yeah the women scream as they see her arriving um not strictly out of terror although i'm guessing that the screaming is maybe because you can't just walk into the thermal s springs without a booking <laughs> it's like a hundred yeah. bucks to get in. You need a book at least six or seven days in advance, as as mm -hmm. I can tell from the the website. Um, but nobody nobody seems like upset to see her though. Did you sense this? Yeah, I feel like everyone was like, "Oh my god, Lisa's here! This is going to be great." Yeah, and like, "Oh, Lisa's here! We're doing the Bachelor." You know, like it was like, yeah. you know, oh, a, a plot point is happening or something. You know, precisely that. Yeah. Um, we get an ITM from Mel Rhee who says, it is on brand for Lisa. I expect nothing less while laughing. She's not being critical at all. Uh, Lisa asks Wes to, to help remove her high heels. She makes a big display of entering the water and taking Natalie away from Wes. Natalie just keeps fucking taking L's this season. Oh my God. Poor Natalie. Yeah. It's rough. It's what a waste of time for natalie she of the hundred thousand dollar income and two hundred and fifty thousand tiktok followers it's unreal think about the number of collaborations that she might have been able to do over this course of two months two months and while she's here and several months of her not using her phone after i'm guessing oh, like, of course of yes exactly like and they're like it will boost your profile and she just simply is not part of the story right 
Um, and I'm sure at some point we'll be able to report on how many wonderful new Instagram followers she's gained out of it. It's not the week for it right now. Yeah. Speaking of L's, Lisa. Oh, this is disgusting. I just saw myself on Zoom video doing that. Lisa tells Wes she knows she wasn't invited, but she wanted to put it all on the line. To which Wes laughs. Knowing full well that this is not the action of someone who is exclusively motivated by her romantic connection with him, right? Yes. Um, he says he appreciates her boldness and says, since we're talking, well, you know, what What do you, you're already here. Let's, you know, whatever. What are you looking for in a partner? What do you want? Lisa says, what do you want from me? <laughs> Lisa says, someone I could spend the rest of my life with, you know, who I could eventually have a family with. And I love this because it's like perfectly here for the right reasons, right on Spot script. On. You know, mm-hmm. give me a reason. Like, I am not giving you a reason to send me home, you know? She's like, I may have butted in this group date, but, like, I am not getting sent home today. I love this. I am playing the role of bachelorette potential. Yes. Wes says he spent his whole life thinking about a wife to the extent that it's made him extremely picky and playing it safe in relationships. And I felt like this was actually extremely insightful in terms of the, like, pathology of Wesley. Say more about what you mean by pathology. Well, like how he got to be where he is today. You know, like he he has, because of presumably a religious ideal, but also just like the cultural ideal of like what a wife should be to him. Uh-huh. Anyone who hasn't met those standards or who hasn't fit that mold or, you know, any woman that has entered his life... He has been like, nah, it's not right, you know? And that's how he's still in his 30s, you know, hasn't got much relationship experience. Hasn't found the person. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought, like, it was interesting to see Wes opening up about this in this way to Lisa, of all people. In a way that feels a little bit inadvertent. Well, it makes me think about, and I, I don't know how much this is a part of his religion, but it made me think a bit about confession in the sense that it's like, you you know... He he knows he knows that he's not going to pick Lisa, right? So yeah. eventually, he can kind of say whatever he wants to her, right? That has given him some level of freedom, in a oh, sense. That's fascinating. You know that he's like he might as well be whoever it is behind the veil or whatever, right? As I understand it, confession is more of a Catholic. I think it's mostly sacrament. Catholic, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, you were right in that I think that he's experiencing a level of freedom in conversation here with someone who that he might consider to be a temptress. Lisa ITMs, I think there's really high potential that I could take Wes's virginity. He, I loved this so He's much. only human and there are temptations in life that you can't ignore. We are just playing so hard on the devil on the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, it struck it says, me that she's. I might just like take his virginity. We we singled out early on that she had uh, she was one of two redheads on this season, and she had recently dyed her hair red. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look back through her Instagram, you won't see a lot of her. Oh, with totally. Red hair. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that is to even further underline the the sort of devil on the shoulder sort of wickedness of it all, right? Perhaps yes. Or I mean, it might. I'm I'm sure that part of it is like. I will remain partly anonymous by doing this on some level or like, you know, this will, this will, uh, insulate the reputation somewhat. 
Um, but also, she's also like having a lot of fun with it, I think. He would be praying for repentance mm. and forgiveness forever. Mm. I think that is something that that man would take to his grave. Oh, man. I mean, it's just a shame that it won't happen because it's so interesting, <laughs> you know? Uh, yes. Ellie pulls Ben aside to make it clear that she doesn't want to be with him, saying, quote, I think you're such an amazing human, and there's so many qualities that you possess that I'm really attracted to, but where I'm at is I feel a really strong spark and chemistry with Luke, and I feel like we don't have the same spark. The way that she robs him even of a gender so that she can't be perceived as being like, I'm a woman, you are a man. The way that she says, oh, I think you're an amazing human. That's interesting. Yeah. I have I have um, stopped to think about the way that the word human gets used in these contexts before. And I've never funny. come up with a super strong take on it. Um, well, like Luke says it to Bria yeah. earlier and I feel like it's the same it's the same thing that's trying to be communicated which is platonicism. Yeah. Although it's funny also that people say like I'm going on here to find my person which feels like spiritually similar to me even though maybe they have different meaning. I think they're spiritually similar and I think that they are distinct in terms of the way that they are applied by people who are on that Gen Z millennial cusp mm. because human is such a doggo word. I was going to say it is a very small bean sort of like, you know, the way that people yes. use human in that way is, is quite like, yeah. My, my human went out to fetch me kibble <laughs> or what? Do you know what I mean? Like yes. there's something yeah. there that, um, well, I think distances the, the special relationship between these people. Yeah. And I think it is a distancing thing more than maybe anything is that like person means that you're acknowledging their personhood or whatever, you know, yes. like, whereas human is like, what are you, if not a, you know, it's like when you, right. when you refer we to someone else as a human, forms. it makes you sound like you're an alien, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, much to think on. Uh, Ellie offers the olive branch of friendship and everything seems to be hunky-dory, but we cut across to a Patterson Gimlin-esque shot. Wait, I got to pronounce that right. But we cut across to a Patterson Gilman-esque shot of Luke, sort of just wandering around and looking to one side. Max, you're aware of the Patterson Gilman film? Now... Roger Patterson. No, no, no. Patterson, Gilman, it's two people. Roger Patterson was a bass player known for his work in the Florida technical death metal band Atheist. His playing style, characterized by speed and complexity, was uh, influential for Alex Webster, bassist, in Cannibal Corpse. Max, this is not what I'm talking about. I guarantee you have seen... In fact, I might even put it on the list. I think you have seen the Patterson-Gimlin film. The Patterson-Gimlin film, also known as the Patterson film or the PGF, is an American short motion picture of an unidentified subject that the filmmakers have said was Bigfoot. It was yes. shot in 1967 in Northern California, uh, and there have been many attempts to authenticate or debunk it over the years. I have seen this, and I do think that this is cool. Yeah. 
So this is what I'm seeing this shot of um, our bachelor Luke it looks like. It is big Because he's just sort of like lumbering around and looking off to one side. And it becomes interesting in the context, which is that they're trying to frame it so that it looks like he is looking over at Ellie and Ben with jealousy in his heart, even though what uh-huh. he's really thinking is like, I want banana or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just looks like big fella caught in nature. Yes, exactly. Um, but also coupled with the ITM inserted after the fact seems to imply that he has seen Ellie and Ben making up and hugging and assumed the worst. And his ITM says, yes, I thought we were right, but what if I'm wrong? And Ellie's actually more into Ben. I can't say that I'm not extremely jealous. I don't want to be stuffed around. No, this narrative is a superimposed as far as I am concerned. We got it at the start of the episode where he's like, oh, I always feel concerned when I see Ben go off with Ellie. Yeah. And then now it's like the full circle of that narrative where he's like, now I'm suspicious. Yeah. And what this serves to do in the, the um, I don't know, in the way that we're trying to tell the full story, at least in my opinion, is to cast doubt at least uh, from an audience perspective, reasonable doubt on Luke's connection with Ellie to make room for the Arthie or Dark Horse, Lana, but mainly Arthie connection to Blossom. And also I think there's the satisfying byproduct that the tension between Luke and Ben makes for some texture that we can pull away from. It does, yeah, yeah. I would call it even 11 or 12 shin. (laughs) But I don't find it very persuasive you know i don't know i don't i mean it's partly just because we know how the sausage gets made but i wonder if you know someone watching this show for the first time will be like yeah i really buy that there's a big concern here or whatever i don't know yeah yeah from this man who's romping around (laughs) in fucking the foothills of a man-made mountain that's right yeah uh, let's go to the rose ceremony. Asha grills Lisa on why she crashed the group date. She reiterates, I'm a strong, powerful woman. I take so what good. I want, and I wanted to be there today, so I made that happen. I'm noticing a lot of Asha asking people to justify their actions this year. This is very Jeff Probst. Oh, that's true, yeah. But in fact, Jeff, you think? I think Jeff is a little... Like, he's like, I'm curious because it worked more often than not. You know, I feel like Jeff is like, talk to me about that strategy because you got this result from it. Whereas Osher is just like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, that's the, that's yeah. the, ideal, the, the method I'm getting, you know. Some of that exposition and grilling, I think, is uh, intended at least to mirror tribal council. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's the most dramatic part of a Survivor episode. And it comes from everyone standing together. Abigail told us in the in the most recent episode of the BOH pod that the rose ceremony was often where a lot of drama would come out. Yeah. This for me feels like this is Osha's attempt to sure procure some of that drama from from the women by acting as that the interviewer slash host, mm. which he has never done before. Yeah, he's definitely getting a bit more involved in this particular um, area. I also wonder whether this is like they're, they've increased his role here because it is less elsewhere. You know, like we've noticed over the years that he has become less mm-hmm. of a like uh, voice that the lead sort of springs things off or whatever. He seems much less involved with the three leads this season than last year. So I wonder if they're just like, well, there's a gap. We've employed Osha for this whole time. Like, let's let's get some more, you know, value let's out of it. Let's use him differently. Yeah. yeah. 
Anywho, uh, Wes picks Jade, Natalie, Bria, and Lisa. Luke picks Tabitha and Arthi. And Ben picks Evangeline, open bracket, Evie, close bracket, Caitlin. And then he calls out Ocean Ellie's name. And as she steps up to him, Ben says, I was going to give you this rose tonight, but I don't think I can anymore. Big Matt Preston pause again. And then he calls Luke over to give it to her to, so he can give it to her instead. Functionally, this makes no difference at all, right? No. Osher has made it very clear that a rose does not indicate ownership. You just need to get one so you're there next episode and we can try it again. But it is a nice enough gesture. I think this is a lovely gesture. The question that I have, though, is why did Wesley invite four women, invite three women on the date and get to give four roses? None of this makes any sense to me. Yeah. I, I was, I, I've been thinking about this constantly, that, like, it must just be, like, producers having more control. Like, you know, Luke picks two women. Two. Wes picks four. Like, none of it, none of it adds up. It doesn't actually make mm-hmm. sense. And also, like, I've noticed that... Um, I read out the names at the rose ceremony because I think it's it's worth knowing, but also perhaps more important than the names of people who do get read out are the people who don't because they just automatically skate through to the next round. And therefore, oh, that's true. those are the people who are seemingly, at least that episode, like more likely to progress. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I don't know how to handle that. The show is just like crumbling. I think we're handling it in the right way in that these people will come up when they come up. Sure. Yes, that's true. Uh, but I take your point mm. and it's fascinating that there are some women who we don't know at all who again get a get a pass right. this week and what does that tell us about the edit? And I think I think about what someone who is new to the Australian version of the franchise would think of this and they would probably sure. find it quite alienating that like the likeliest people to get through are the people who we are ignoring and not talking about, you know? Yes, yes, that part of it is, um, look, it's a new challenge that the series presents, and if this series is to continue, then I wonder if that might be a, a further kink to work out, because we agree at the very least that this way of we invite the women on the group date and then that group of women, someone's going home, yeah. is it's satisfying. good dramatic tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... Are you inviting the two women that you definitely know are going through and the one that you're going to definitely kick out? Right. And how do we divide that up? There's a lot of um, stake mm. ignoring mm. that the show is is doing that um, I feel like if we were to properly explore those dynamics, we would be doing doing better. So this is the end for Mel Ree, one of the standouts from night one, in my opinion, someone I would have loved the show to spend a bit more time with. Uh, she disappears virtually without a trace after blowing kisses to the other women. No backseat chat. Unfortunately, that is just the way the cards were dealt. Hey. Okay. Yeah. Magic. All right. Uh-huh. I think that the show played Mel off as a bit of a joker. Oh, yes. Yeah. Whereas I think she might be more of a queen. I agree. Thank you, Max Quinn. I I couldn't agree more. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm sure Mel takes some solace from the fact that on Announce, she had 4,496 followers on Instagram and has now skyrocketed to 4,576 at the time of recording. Goodness gracious. Whopping gain of 80 followers. No. No. No, 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 no. I do, like, like I want to keep reporting on the Instagram followers, but it's just, like, yeah. such a, you know, 
non. It's crazy that you can be on physical television, yeah. and this happened to you, and that it used like, to be such a thing. So so significant. I mean, I remember a time in my life where I could go on national radio and do a thing, and I would look at my Instagram afterwards, and there would be. 20 more people and yeah. they're not even showing my face which is beautiful yeah 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 i know and now they get to see well that's probably why you know yeah yeah that's exactly probably right. two or yeah. three people heard you on radio and then they were like telling their friends like get a load of how good this guy looks have a yeah yeah, yeah have a have a exquisite at this hunk freaking good looking bloke <laughs> as a wise man once said After the rose ceremony, there's a very brief moment where Ellie takes Luke aside to let him know that she is here for only him from now on. They share Mm -hmm. a kiss. This is quite satisfying in terms of narrative. Um, We'll see what what happens from here on out. Next episode, which is airing very soon as I check my watch. It's a cooking date. Exciting. Episode six, as you predicted exactly. Yeah, it's almost like I had already watched episode five and seen this next episode on. (laughs) When I said that, <laughs> get real. Okay, um, but I will say, uh, so Wesley brings Jade and Ben brings Amelia, but Luke invites this blonde woman whose face we can't see, but it's definitely not Lobster Bisque Lana, who is such a natural choice to bring on the cooking date after they yeah. like had their initial bond. And I mean, unless Lana dyes her hair blonde in between episodes, I don't know. But Balana, Bal- <laughs> banana. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also I think I am. there is also uh, uh, a surprise delivery which uh, quote unravels Amelia, um, and uh, she asks the camera crew to take the cameras away. I'm sure that'll be fun. Find out what that's all about. Seems like much much of nothing, but I Probably. can't wait to talk more about it. That's right. Uh, so as we said, next episode we'll talk about. Six and seven, and then eight and nine mm-hmm. on the one after that. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to this, uh, what was planned to be a shorter episode. <laughs> we got through. I think we've done good. Yeah, yeah I think this is all right. Uh, I, I think it was fun. I think I had a good time. I think Absolutely. Max is probably the best podcaster in history. It's definitely possible. Yeah, yeah. This is the deepest uh, conversation that I've ever had in my <laughs> life. Listeners, for more deep conversations, you can find us on social media at BOH Pod. Although, like, <laughs> we're posting so many episodes that we have not been doing a lot on there. Um, oh my word. But so please hop on there, engage with us. Um, we, we're having so much fun. We hope you guys are too. You can also find us on Facebook in our community, which is called Bachelor of Hearts Osh Posting. Come on in, make some friends, have a good time. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find us on patreon.com slash B-O-H pod. We would really appreciate it if you like. Do we? Yeah, for sure. And one of the most rewarding things that I've gotten out of this season and, and the previous season in particular is listeners just jumping in the DMs. If you don't feel like a Facebook post or a post in a big group is comfortable, yeah, yeah. come say hi, find us, say hello, um, whether it's through the the BOH account, or you can find us easy enough on Instagram. Uh, yeah, talk always... to us about about this podcast, but also talk to us about what's happening on the TV show. Talk to us about other stuff too, you know? We're a little pigeonholed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? This is the other part of it, I right? went to the movies a couple uh, look, of times this week. They were pretty exciting. You know, that Godzilla, he's a nasty man. Hey, put some letters in our pigeonholes, listener. We are excited to talk to you again as we recap episodes six and seven of The Bachelors, season 11 slash two on The Bachelor of Hearts podcast. Until we speak to you again, listeners, we love love you. you.